Thank you, Janie. Hosea is not really a warm, fuzzy book. Uh, if you read that, it's kind of challenging. Hosea actually lived around 750 BC. He was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. And he spoke to the people of Israel trying to, to warn them about how ultimately their sin was going to lead to their destruction. In fact, I'd like for us to look at Hosea 4, the first part of verse 6 again. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Could we all read that together? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Knowledge is so, so important. If we hope to do the will of God here on this earth, we, we need to know what God's will is, is exactly. And unfortunately, the people of Israel did not know the will of God because the priests weren't doing their job of teaching the people the word of God. And so they were committing all kinds of horrendous sins. They were lying, they were stealing, they were killing, they were, they were committing adultery. But their greatest sin was the sin of idolatry, for they were worshiping uh, Baal, the Canaanite fertility god. And through the words of Hosea, God communicates to the people of Israel that their idolatry has made them play the harlot in their relationship with God. They have proven to be unfaithful. So he challenges them and and lets them know that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Of course, as we continue to look at the text in Hosea, we can see that their lack of knowledge is really the priest's fault. If the priests had been doing their job, they would have taught the people the Ten Commandments. They would have taught the many commandments that we find in the Old Testament, but they weren't doing their job. And so ultimately, the words of Hosea proved to be quite prophetic. He said these things in 750 B.C., and by 722 B.C., the Assyrians did, in fact, conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. Yes, the people were destroyed for their lack of knowledge. Knowledge is the first step to obedience. If we hope to live a life in obedience to God, we have to know what God's word says. Now, if you're not really a Bible reader, if you've never read the entire Bible, I would encourage you to begin with the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, it's the shortest of the Gospels. It's only 16 chapters. You can maybe read one chapter a day in a little over two weeks. You'll read the the whole Gospel of Mark. If you read the Gospel of Mark, then I would encourage you to read the other Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and then John, and then continue to read the rest of the New Testament. And after you've read the New Testament, then I would encourage you to go back and read the Old Testament, beginning with Genesis, and just read a a chapter or two, or maybe even three. In fact, if you know, if you read three chapters a day, just about three chapters a day, you'll read the entire Bible in one year. And how much we'll know about God and who God is and what God is calling us to do is we, we read through all of God's Word. Now, if that sounds like that's just too slow for you, if you're like a type A or triple A type personality, uh, in, in, on Wednesday nights this fall, we're actually going to do the Bible in 90 days again. We're going to have an opportunity to, to journey through the Bible so that we'll read 12 pages a day. And as we read 12 pages a day, we're going to get a, a bigger picture of how, how God's Word, it all connects together. And we've got some new videos to do about with that. I'm going to be teaching that uh, starting in the fall in September. So uh, you, if you want to wait till then, that's fine. But, but at least read the Gospels this summer. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll find that as you read those words, God will communicate to you his will. But many of us have been in Bible studies all of our life. I've had to go to Sunday school ever since I was a little kid. I can't remember a time when I didn't go to Sunday school. Church has always been a two-hour routine for me. Uh, And so I know the Bible. Knowing God's word, well, it's really not enough, is it? We're called to obey God's word. Simply having a knowledge of God's word is not going to necessarily lead to obedience. In fact, as you continue to read Hosea, you'll see that the priests knew God's word, and yet they participated in the sins of the people just like the other Israelites, for they were caught up in harlotry, drunkenness, and idolatry. 
What is the key to making sure that we not only know God's word, but ultimately do God's word? What is the key to faithful living today? To find out, I would encourage you to open your your Bibles to the New Testament, specifically to Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. It may be found on page 1251 of your Red Pew Bible. And I would encourage you to keep your Red Pew Bible open throughout the message as I will be making reference to the verses throughout our message this morning. But before we read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you inspired Paul to write these timeless words to the church in Colossae. Oh Lord, we know that we have much to learn. So we pray that by your spirit as we read your word that you might speak to us, that we might be transformed at the reading of and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray and all God's people said, amen. Colossians chapter one, beginning with verse one. Listen to the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, To the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. I want to pause there just for a moment. Notice how Paul introduces himself to the church in Colossae. Now, nowadays, when we write a letter, we say, dear so-and-so, whoever you're addressing the letter to, and at the very end, we reveal who it is, the author of the letter, and we say sincerely or with kind regards or, you know, whatever, in Christ, and you write your name at the end. Well, in ancient times, they would always begin... You know, the author of the letter would first identify himself. And notice how Paul identifies himself in our text this morning. A, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. If you read the rest of Paul's letters, you see that he doesn't normally introduce himself this way, this formal way. In fact, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. It's a much more humble introduction. But in Colossians, he wants to make a point to let them know that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul didn't volunteer to become an apostle. You may remember the story. He used to go by the name Saul, his Jewish name, and he was on the road to Damascus to go and persecute Christians. Was he seeking to persecute Christians? God calls him out and blinds him on the road to Damascus, and he's overwhelmed. And and the risen Jesus speaks to Paul, and and his life is forever changed. And and he goes from persecuting the church to actually starting churches, and he becomes a a minister to to the Gentiles or the non Jews and plants churches throughout the Mediterranean. But Paul did not start the church in Colossae. In fact, scholars tell us that while he was on his third missionary journey, he spent uh, several years in Ephesus. And while he was in Ephesus, he discipled a young man named Epaphras. And Epaphras was from Colossae. And Epaphras took this message of the gospel of grace and he took it to the, his hometown of Colossae and he started the church there. And scholars tell us that Paul writes Colossians while he's in a, while he's in, in a house arrest in Rome around 60 AD. And Epaphras is visiting Paul, telling him the good, the bad, and the ugly about the church in Colossae. Because as we continue to read, we're going to see that the church in Colossae had its own struggles, lots of different struggles with lots of different kinds of sins and, and false teachers. And so Paul wants to establish that the letter that he is writing to them is not just any letter from just anyone. It's from an apostle. It has special authority. It comes from God's, wholly inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
What's powerful to read about this is that you know, later at the end of Colossians, he, Paul knows that God's inspiring him, and so he tells the Colossians to share this letter with the church in Laodicea. Yes, Paul knows that these words that he's writing to the church in Colossae are timeless words, words that every church needs to hear. Even First Presbyterian Church in Amarillo, Texas in 2019 Because the problems that the Colossians are having are problems that every church has had somewhere along the way, wrestling with false teachings, wrestling with with different kinds of sins, like sexual immorality, coveting, lying, malice, slander, idolatry. These are common sins among God's people. And Paul knows that even though the, the Colossians have been receptive to the gospel of grace, their lives have not yet been transformed by the gospel of grace. Yes, we need more than just knowledge of the gospel to be transformed. In our information age, we know this well. With the dawning of the internet, you know, we can look up any uh, English translation of the Bible we want. We have wonderful English translations. On the internet, we can look up different commentaries and different notes on what the Bible has to say and what it meant to the original people who received those letters or those gospels. Yes, we're full of information. What the church in the 21st century needs is transformation, not just information. So what is the key to making sure that we are transformed by the word of God? Let's continue to read Paul's letter to the Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred, to us in the, has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, as we uh, read through uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to uh, 14, we can see that in verses 3 to 6, Paul, after establishing who he is and who he's writing to, he tells the church in Colossae that ever since he's heard about them, he's been offering prayers of thanksgiving, thanksgiving that their receptivity of the gospel has led them to, to bear fruit, to, to love all of the saints in Christ. And then he offers a prayer of supplication, beginning with verse 9. Listen to what it is he prays for the church in Colossae again. He prays that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul wants to make sure the Colossians are filled 
with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If we keep reading Colossians, we're going to see that there are some false teachers who have come in to Colossae and they've begun to teach some false philosophies among the Colossians, encouraging them to worship angels and to avoid certain food or drink. Paul knows that they need a a greater knowledge of God's will so they might walk according to God's ways, to avoid this foolish legalism, to avoid this foolish teachings. So how can we make sure that we know the will of God exactly today? Notice that Paul, when he prays, he's not praying that they might grow in the knowledge of God's Torah, Old Testament law. He prays that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Ultimately, God's will is revealed to us in Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son, who's fully God and fully man. As the Gospel of John begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John uses the Word to describe Jesus because he's, he's the one who reveals God to us. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Yes, Jesus is the ultimate revelation to us of who God is and who God is calling us to be. So that if we want to know the will of God, we look to Jesus. That's why if you continue reading Colossians, and I would encourage you to read Colossians uh, today. It's only four chapters. I know I'm given a lot of reading assignments today, but just read Colossians, those four chapters as well, you'll see that right after talking about what he prays for them, he begins to give this beautiful description of the preeminence of Christ that we find in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 19. He writes, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Paul is saying that if you want to grow in the knowledge of of God and God's will, he's been praying that they might grow in that knowledge. Well, ultimately, they need to know Jesus more. But knowledge is an interesting word in in the Bible. Uh, in Hosea 4, 6, when we read that, you know, my people perish for lack of knowledge, that word for knowledge there is yada in the Hebrew. And yada can mean, well, it doesn't just mean intellectual knowledge. It means a relational knowledge. What the people of Israel were missing was a, a relational knowledge, a, a relationship with Yahweh. That's why they were rebelling against God, because they didn't know Yahweh personally. Ultimately, what, Jesus is, what Paul is praying for the Colossians is that they might grow in a knowledge, a, a relational knowledge with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Yes, Paul is really praying that they might get to know Jesus better. Paul isn't praying that they'll master the Torah or the, or the Old Testament laws. In fact, did you know there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament? 613. That's a lot of commandments. That's a lot of rules to try and learn, try to memorize. Now, the commandments in the Old Testament are good. The Ten Commandments are very good. God loves us, and he gives us the Ten Commandments because they are good for us. It is not good to, to murder or to commit adultery or to lie or to steal or to covet. Those things 
are bad for us. It's bad for our community. It breaks down society. Yes, we need to abide by the Ten Commandments. But when we look at all 613 commandments, it's impossible for any of us to abide by and fulfill all of those commandments. Fortunately, there was one who did. There was one who, who did everything, who, who, who obeyed every one of the commandments, all of God's moral law. For in, G, in, the math, in, in the Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, he has not come to this earth to abolish the law, but rather to fulfill it. As we look at the life of Jesus, as we look at what he did and what he said, we can see that he did, in fact, fulfill the law. He gave us a living example of what it means to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He gave us a living example of what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves by by doing the golden rule, treating others the way that we would like to be treated, by going that extra mile, by, by turning the other cheek, by loving people and praying for them, even though they persecute you. Yes, in Jesus, we find one who fulfills the law. And not just the moral law, but the sacrificial law as well. For ultimately, he dies as the perfect sacrifice for our sins with his death on a cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us, as Paul explains to the Corinthians. As Deuteronomy 21 verse 23 says, Cursed is he who is hung on a tree. Jesus became a curse for us so that our sins might be atoned for, so that we might be forgiven. As Paul writes in verse 13 and 14 of our text this morning, Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Yes, that is the good news of the gospel, that in Jesus Christ we are now forgiven. Jesus' death pays the price for our sins so that, so that they're atoned for once and for all. And so that now we can live in a new life in him. And that's the key to transformation, living in Christ. Notice how Paul addresses the Colossians in verse 2 of our text. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. In Christ at Colossae. What does it mean to be a saint exactly? He says, welcome, he mentions them to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Well, the Greek word for saints here is agios. It literally means holy one. Are the Colossians really holy people? Do they, are they holy ones? Well, if you keep reading Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 to 6, Paul exhorts them or encourages them. So he says, to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covenants, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. When you're holy... When you're always doing what God would have you do, you don't need to be reminded to put away sexual immorality or evil desires or passions or impurity or idolatry. The Colossians weren't holy in and of themselves. They weren't necessarily abiding by God's will. So Paul has to encourage them to to put off those things. And aren't we often a lot like them? We may have received the gospel. We may have said yes to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We may declare that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. But the fact is, we still wrestle with sin. There are things we, we know we shouldn't do, and yet we, we do them. 
You know, I, I grew up in the church many years ago in Midland, and I've known since a little boy that the 10th commandment is thou shall not covet. I know that. I know I'm not supposed to covet. But when I was a little kid and I had a friend who had a new Star Wars toy, I coveted that toy. I wondered what my friend had. And the truth is it's still the same today. When I get on Facebook and I see all of the cool exotic places that my friends go on vacation, I covet their lives. I think, oh, that'd be cool to go do that. Our advertisers here in the United States, they, 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 they take advantage of this fact that we are naturally covetous people, that we want what others have. That's why we have Matthew McConaughey driving a Lincoln MX-6, which is supposed to be this really great car, and I look at him drive that car and I go, man, I wish I had a Lincoln MX-6, that'd be cool. Fortunately, the economist me has learned and taught me that the, my Toyota Camry is much cheaper than his Lincoln, and it gets better gas mileage, so I'm content at least from an economic standpoint, that I don't drive his car, but I know I don't look as cool as Matthew McConaughey. Yes, by by our natures, we're covetous people. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7, he said, you know, talking about the word of God and the law of God being good, he said, you know, I wouldn't know what coveting is if the law did not say, thou shall not covet. So how can we make sure we're not the kind of people who covet? How can we make sure that we're the kind of people who put off the old self, who don't go back to the ways of selfish, sinful, of our sinful nature? We have to walk in Christ. We have to be in a relationship with Christ. What Paul is ultimately praying for the church in Colossae is that they might grow in their knowledge of Christ through a relationship with Christ. Knowledge is not just an intellectual exercise. No, knowledge is something that well, it's something we have in our hearts. We know Christ. And if we will, if we will pray and talk to Jesus daily and, and seek to foster that relationship, and if we will meditate on his words as they're revealed to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the four Gospels, if we'll meditate on what Jesus' word has to say, and if we will prayerfully try to do God's word, then we will find that we'll become more like Christ and we'll be transformed through the power of the Spirit as we seek to walk with Christ. You see, as we try to do God's word, as we, we try to do what Jesus tells us to do, we grow in our appreciation and all that Jesus has already done for us. For instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us that, you know, it's easy to love your neighbor and to love the, your friends, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, if you start trying to do that, if you start praying for your enemies and trying to, to love those who persecute you, you're going to find that it, that's really hard to do. But isn't that what Jesus did for us? Jesus, while he was crucified, was being mocked. Even though he was innocent, he was mocked by the priests and the scribes and the soldiers. And yet, what did he do while he was on that cross? He prayed for them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yes, if we will prayerfully ask Jesus to lead us each and every day, if we'll meditate on his words and and prayerfully try to do his will here on this earth as it is in heaven, we will grow in our appreciation for all that Jesus has already done for us, that he was the kind of person who loved his enemies and prayed for those who persecuted him. He was the kind of person who went the extra mile to minister and and to serve others. He's the kind of person who lived out the golden rule, treating others the way that they would like to be treated. Yes, as we, as we try to do what Jesus says, we'll, we'll, we'll gain and grow in our appreciation for all that he's already done for us, and so we will naturally grow in our love for Jesus. And as we grow in our love for Jesus, we'll find that we can't help but share that love with others, just as the Apostle Paul did. 
a man who previously had tried to persecute the church, and yet he was overwhelmed by the grace and the love and the forgiveness of Christ, a God who forgives us not seven times, but seven times 70, as Jesus explains to to Peter in Matthew 18. He was so overwhelmed by God's love and God's grace that he couldn't help but share that love with others. It's if we want to be transformed, it's not just about learning what the Bible has to say or what Jesus had to say. It's about growing our relationship with Jesus, turning to Jesus, asking Jesus to guide us and to lead us, to meditate on those words, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we try to do those things, we will grow in an appreciation of how much Jesus has already done for us, how much he loves us, that he who was in heaven from the very beginning, would abandon all of that and travel the cosmos to come to us, to humble himself, to be born as a a baby in a a lowly manger. Then he would grow up among us and he would teach us and he would heal us and ultimately he would die for us as that perfect sacrifice. And then on the third day he would rise again, conquering both sin and death on our behalf so that we know with full assurance that because we are in Christ, death does not have the final say for us. Because we are in Christ, we know that we too are victorious with Christ. Yes, it's our union with Christ as we seek to walk in Christ that we are ultimately transformed. It is our union with Christ that gives us the power to persevere, to faithfully run the marathon of faith. It's not a sprint. No, it's a marathon as we daily pray to Jesus and meditate on his word and try to live it out together. It is our union with Christ, our relationship with Jesus that allows us to do the will of God here on earth as it is in heaven. And so I pray as Paul prays and we should all pray that we might grow in our knowledge of God's will for us as it's revealed to us in Jesus Christ who did for us what we could never do for ourselves, who lived in perfect obedience to the law and then died as the perfect sacrifice and then rose again so that we all might be saved. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that as we read these words and Paul's encouragement to the church in Colossae, we know that we need to hear them as well. Yes, we have received the gospel. Yes, we've said yes to Jesus, but we recognize that we're not always doing what we're called to do. So God, I pray that by your spirit, you would lead us, that we would meditate on the words of Jesus as we find them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as we try to do them, Lord, we might grow in our appreciation and our understanding and our knowledge of your great love for us, for Jesus did everything he asks us to do. And he did it willingly because he loves us so much. And in gratitude for that love, O Lord, we want to honor you. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ and all God's people said.